All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can you see it? Did you know? The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, at arm's length. To the line, Hughes, scores! Yes, existence, take you to the sun. First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes makes it 1-0. Here, like I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and Valentine's Day. Wow, we should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores. Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air, let's go.
Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word, promo code Hockey Season at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Check them out on Twitch, weekly case breaks. My name is David Quadrelli. I'm joined, as always, by the man who built the place, wearing a tank top. First time I think I've seen you in a tank top, Chris Faber. The guns are out, baby. The guns are out. Out. Damn right they are. I ordered, I think I told you this on the Patreon. I ordered like seven or eight shirts from Old Navy for like under 50 bucks. Which is a steal, by the way. It's a steal. And these are soft shirts. I'm happy with them. I bought, you might be able to see, they're very long, but I buy shirts because like I bought them really long because they're going to shrink a little bit. You know, as a bigger guy, like you hate when they shrink because then you get a little belly. It's called a little tummy sneak, is what people call it when the tummy sneaks out. But I bought these really long shirts because I think they're going to shrink and, and fit perfect after. Hmm. It doesn't look that long. You look okay. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. Some of the other ones are very long. This is great radio, by the way. Us talking about the shirt that you're wearing. Well, it's good stuff. Well, that's the problem. I come in here and I'm expecting to, you know, shoot it for a little bit and and talk to you. We we got the Italy game coming up in about an hour from now. So you're right into recording, not wasting any time. Yeah, very excited. You're not wearing the jersey, though? You said forgot the jersey. I forgot to wear the jersey. I'm wearing my Muhammad Ali shirt instead, Mm. Uh, which is a dope shirt, by the way. I love how we're like, let's just keep talking about all the clothes we're wearing so (laughs) nobody nobody can see it. But shorts uh, are really comfy, too. Oh. Yeah, very nice. Comfy shorts. I'm not allowed to wear these out often, though, apparently. Why? Well, the girlfriend's got all these fancy shorts for me now, these, like, nicer ones, and I like my sports shorts. I really you know like what? sports shorts. When I met you, like, you wore sweatpants to everything. Well, I still do. Do you? I, not I now in the summer. Yeah, I guess I said, that makes sense. I was talking about this the other day. Once it's over 10 degrees, yeah, I'm wearing shorts every day. If it's yeah. over 10 degrees, like, even in, like, the wintertime, like... If it's cold, I'm wearing pants. But once it starts to get over 10 degrees, I have to wear shorts. You didn't wear sweatpants to your Botchford Project night, did you? No. I mean, that I would dress up I was going to say, okay, yeah. But I did wear a a short sleeve shirt to that, and I was getting (laughs) made fun of a lot. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that was funny. I think even Canucks PR at the time was just like, like, wow, you must be pretty cold. I'm like, well, when you're 300 pounds, you're not really cold ever. Believe me on that. So, yeah, they were trying to make fun of me for that, and... uh, wasn't I wasn't having it because I was I'm good I like the temperature that I get in a rink when I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt especially now the Canucks combo polos are perfect which I might be wearing uh, when we go golfing too later this week I'm wearing my Tatis jersey oh yeah you got that in the mail too yeah oh man it's a beauty Fernando Tatis Jr. baby it's a beautiful The first picture you sent me of it you couldn't see the P in Padres, and I, I was know. just like, Padres, Padres it looks pretty funny misprint. like that. <laughs> I was like, I know that you didn't get like an authentic $250 <laughs> one, but I like, I was hoping they'd like not forget the P, so that's good. Oh, man, the Padres with Fernando Atis Jr. Okay, let's let's jump into it. We do have some Canucks talk to talk about. Sure thing. Ninth overall pick has been the topic of discussion around this city for, I want to say, the past week, Chris. Talking about Sam Reinhart. A lot of people are talking about Buffalo Sabres winger Sam Reinhart coming off 25 goal season, I believe. And he is on the trade market and Canucks fans are throwing out their trade packages of how they're going to get Sam Reinhart from Buffalo. I've seen some people be like, yeah, get Reinhart and Eichel and we'll give them Louie and ninth overall. And okay, it's well, like, well, okay, well, come someone, on now. Yeah, someone take away Caleb's Twitter account. Then. <laughs> that's that's where that's coming from. Never, never uh, take away Caleb's Twitter No, I don't. One account. of my favorites. <laughs> one of my favorites on Twitter for Good sure. follow. Yeah, that's... That's what, I, and I think that actually, like some of these trades, we we talk about this sometimes, and a lot of the time we don't discuss Twitter propositions that we see online. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> not on the show, but like this one is actually possible to me that 
ninth can get you Reinhardt. Like, in, in a certain amount of package, however you kind of switch it yeah, around. I agree. I think it's very possible that this can happen. But people, people are saying, like, okay, ninth and Louis. And personally, I don't think ninth, like, I think ninth gets it done. But I don't think the Canucks should make that trade. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about Reinhardt a lot here, but the gist of it is: look, the guy's coming off career highs. He had a lot of good underlying numbers, but again, you're buying him. You're paying when he's at his highest price point, right? Yeah. Like this is gonna be an expensive player to to trade for, and I don't know if ninth overall is worth it. Like, okay, to me. It needs to be kind of a draft day thing. Because what if... Now, hear me out. What if someone like Brant Clark's available, slips down, and it's somebody the Canucks want? Like, their guy that they thought was going to be in the top five slips to ninth, but they've already moved that pick. Like, how about you wait until draft day, see what... See what... See how the... See how the dominoes fall. See what happens. See who could be available to you. If it's somebody you have low on your board... Then you go ahead and make that trade. I, I get that's a perfect world scenario because Buffalo might want to make the trade before that and they might just go to another team. But I'm saying for the Canucks, I don't know if going for Sam Reinhardt is worth it just because, like I said, a lot of, lot of career best numbers this season. And like you said, uh, actually, I won't steal your thunder. What were you telling me right before we started this about Niels Hoaglander? So, yeah, I mean, Reinhardt put up the 25 goals this past year. I believe 25, 10th uh, in the league for scoring. But... You know, Nils Huglander had one less goal than him at 5-on-5. Five five. A lot of Reinhardt's offense came from playing with Jack Eichel on the power play, right? That's where a lot of his offense come from, which is good. But would Reinhardt even fit into the first power play unit for the Canucks next year? I don't think so. I think that he would he would obviously help the second unit. But let's look at what that second unit does. Like, they go out and they get, what, 30 seconds, 40 seconds? You know, yeah. like, I think the average last year for a Niels Huglander on the second power play unit was just over a minute. Like, he was getting, yeah. like, 65 seconds on average per game. So, adding Reinhardt, who some people think he's a center, um, career face-off percentage of 38%. So, oh boy. you know, people that ripped on Adam Gaudet for being a bad center, <laughs> uh, Reinhardt's going to be in a similar way. I, I think that the deal can be done, but I agree with you in a lot of like, it's just not the right time yet for that type of trade. Like, I really think the Canucks need to go with the, the buy low and hope for something over the next couple of years with certain players for Reinhardt. It feels like it's another very hard press of the accelerator. Like it's yeah. a very moving forward move, but with Jim Benning in the spot that he's in, you wonder if he's interested in that because he needs to get this team to the playoffs if he wants to keep his job. Yeah. I'm and look, like sorry to cut you off, mm-hmm. but I've 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 said numerous times on this show the Canucks need to make the playoffs next year, not just for Jim. They need to make the playoffs for this core. They can't you can't have another year of Horvat who just played 500 games. You can't have another year of him missing the playoffs. You can't have another year of Elias Patterson missing the playoffs. You can't have another year of JT Miller. That's a really big name that I look at missing the playoffs. Brock Besser, like these guys don't want to miss the playoffs, Chris, and you need to give them some sort of supporting cast or they're going to want out. Like there is going to be a point where they say, you know what? I'm stuck with a sea of Granlins behind me and they're not getting anything done. I'm out of here. Like there's going to be a point where that happens. I don't know. I, I think that if you're able to communicate the right way and say like, listen, this is what our situation is with this next year we might not make the playoffs next year. And I don't think you communicate that to the players, yeah. but you need to let them know about the plan of like, hey, look at how aggressive we can be in two years, though. 
when we have all that money coming off the books, sure. we can do a lot better things with this team. This year is just going to be like, if they are able to, I think I've been saying for a long time, just bite the bullet on this year. I think you can come Again? out of this next year. Again, well, they're going to punt? Like, they punted last year. They lost to Foley. Not necessarily punt, but not necessarily, like, put all your chips in. You know, sure. Just, okay, just I agree with you. fold your pocket eights on this sure. hand. Like, you don't sure. need to go all in with your pocket eights because you don't have a great hand going into this season. It's fine to fold. And I think, you know, you look for the next hand and you hope they hit something on the flopper. Like, I, I think that, like I said for a long time, they are still a couple years away from being a real competitive team. And and that's the thing, like this team that we see right now on the ice and what we'll see next year isn't going to be the team that's going to get them to a Stanley Cup. They have a lot of pieces that yeah. are in the right spot to start building a team to get to a Stanley Cup. But if you can really fill that out with the money that you're about to have in the 22-23 season, that's when you're going to start to see a roster that looks competitive, looks a lot more competitive. And to me, that year, there's not a lot of other contracts that are going to be huge, right? Like you're not going to have to pay Huglander yet. You're not going to have to pay Pod Colson yet. Uh, the year after that, you're going to have to see about JT Miller and you're going to have to see about Bo Horvat. I don't think they're going to get that big of raises though either, like especially when they're going to be at a little bit of an older age, potentially Horvat maybe a little bit. But you're going to have to kind of just evaluate where you are with the cap with Elias Pettersson, where you are with Quinn Hughes. But I think that there's going to be a lot more openings, and this is pretty obvious, in a couple of years when the cap's open. So to me, Reinhardt would be, he would be a huge addition. He'd probably play on the line with Bo Horvat, and he would yep. really, not only like his addition to the top six, would make your third line so much better. Because now yeah. you have two guys that you would have like a Pearson and a Huglander or a Pearson and a Pod Coles, and whoever you kind of drop down to that third line, you got some really strong wingers to put in there, right? And then you, I think even bringing in Reinhardt has a big option for Miller to go down to 3C, right? Or, or move him back to the C. So I think that, like we've kind of talked about, and you mentioned it earlier, to, to make the Reinhardt deal, you need to send money back to make it worth it. To me, I don't know if, that, if Buffalo's looking for that. I think Buffalo can get a decent, decent return for Reinhardt, even if it's not with the Vancouver Canucks. But Reinhardt has said that he wants to be from he wants to play in Western Canada. I believe he's from North Van. I think he played his his minor hockey like when he was 13, 14, 15 in Vancouver before he went uh, to a different WHL team which I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um but I mean like Reinhardt would be a huge addition. He really would, but the biggest thing for me it's not sending money back. It's actually what the contract looks like moving forward because I think he's making 5-2 right now with one more year on his contract. Like, how much of a raise is he getting? Does he, if he comes back, if you can sign him right now off of his career season, is he asking for seven? Like, is he over or above seven, do you think? Just to clarify for the listeners, his contract ends at the end of next season, correct? Right. Yeah. Okay, so you don't need to sign him right away. They could but run out of time. But that's got to be part of the trade. But they could just run out of time. We thought, we thought... Mm. Resigning to Foley was part of the trade. I, I'm just poking fun true, a little bit here. True, I think I'm, that's... I, I'm having a little fun here, but <laughs> okay, I, I I get what it you're saying. It doesn't sound very fun. No, it, but, it isn't fun. But, but yeah, I agree. The if they if they go after Reinhardt, it needs to be the same as Tavoli. And listen, a lot of people, um, <laughs> a lot of people talk about you know narratives, all this stuff. I would like to remind everybody when the Canucks traded for Toffoli, you and I were some of the only people in the market pumping the tires, being like, no, this is a great trade. Toffoli's going to fit well. We called it. We were like, but obviously they need to resign him. When they didn't resign him, we called a spade a spade. We said it was a mistake. We were right about that too. So I'm just going to say now, if they go after Reinhardt, they got to resign him as well. And that's the thing. It's like, that has to be the de- That has to be. Yeah, the it deal. does. I think that I've, that I hear that Buffalo's letting people have that conversation with him though, too. 
No, I think you're thinking of Dougie Hamilton in Carolina. I'm okay, maybe. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on right now. There Some is pretty big names. Yeah, um, and it's too bad that it's not next off season. Like when I we know. could actually be talking about the Canucks having space to do these type of to deals. go after Dougie Hamilton, right? And I think that's the thing for me is like we we kind of see this every year. It's not like this is an outlier year where there's like all these big names potentially be moved. This this happens every year. Like yeah. maybe some years it's more than others, but there is going to be players at least next year that that are going to be in a similar spot that want to move. And, and, you know, a lot of people want to play in Western Canada or play in the Western uh, Western Conference from the Eastern Conference. And I think that, to me, it's like, yes, Reinhardt would be great. I would love to see Reinhardt in a Canucks jersey. I think he'd make a big difference to this team. He'd make the top six better. We'd see some more scoring. And I think you could really look at three lines that can score. But it's all about the contract to me. And the con- and a contract needs to be signed. You can't just give up a prospect and a pick like you did for Toffoli and then just let him walk next year. You need to have a contract done. But the thing that scares me is like, is Reinhardt the guy you want to invest over $7 million in? That's what I don't, that, That's where I have issues here is I don't think it is. So if we agree that the move has to be to trade and sign because you don't want to just lose him after one year after giving up assets, Reinhardt's not the guy you target. If you're giving up the ninth overall pick, it's not the guy you target. I, to, quote, I, to quote the TikTok meme, you're not that guy. No, you're not that guy. Because, look, like I said, career highs... Right, a lot, a lot of underlying numbers were better than they ever have been for him, and his, you know, this is the best year of his career. Like regression is likely here. I don't know if I'm taking that risk, man. Like, yeah, I don't know. It just it sucks that we're that we have to have this conversation. But it the thing that irks me a little bit too is like Buffalo is a really bad team, right? Buffalo was a bad team. Yes. Canucks were a pretty bad team last year as well. Finished worse in the North Division. Not as bad as Buffalo. Not as bad as Buffalo, no. But Niels Huglander has more points than this guy. You know? Yeah. You have Niels Huglander already under contract for two more years on his ELC. You have a Pod Colson coming in who I think is going to be better than Niels Huglander. I mean, that's what we've been saying for years, even though everyone thinks that, you know, it's going to be hard for him to find that success early. And I just did, like... I know that Reinhardt can really help this team. I know he can definitely help, but there's a lot of the other parts of him creating offense that don't really stick out for me as much as a guy that's like for sure going to be a guy that you want to sign on six years at $7.2 million moving forward. He just doesn't have that stat line to me. He doesn't have that to me. I think he would definitely help. I'm hundred percent on board with that, but unless you can really like really quickly shift gears here from like, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna give you Louis Erickson and the ninth and Cole Lind for Reinhardt and a fourth. Like that kind of deal, that's something that I'd be into if you can get a contract done that makes sense and is under seven million, even if it's like a four year deal or something like that, that's gonna bring him to free agency at the age of whatever, twenty eight, twenty nine, whatever he's gonna be at. Because Reinhardt's young, like he he could fit he could fit with this core quite a bit. He could fit real nice with this core, but you gotta be able to like if you're trading Erickson the other way, that's kind of buying you one player into next year already, right? Like you're kind of fast forwarding to that year where the cap comes off just because you're moving that $6 million worth of cap, which is going to end up being 4.9 because Louis obviously going to be in Abbotsford. So you're moving that cap forward, but then it's like, how much is that worth? Like, does that have to be the Canucks throwing in like another second? Like, is it a first, a second and Louis to get Reinhardt? Cause then that's too much. Man. And then <laughs> Buffalo has so much space, so they're able to take players yeah. easily. Like, so easily they're able to take players. And the thing with Louie, right, is his real dollars owed isn't that much. Right, so after for July fifteenth, yes. July 1st, I can't remember yes. exactly. It yeah. might be moved around. It might be moved because of COVID, yes. Right. Um, but regardless, 
that's not a horrible pickup for a team looking to save some money. And JP Berry, the agent of Louis Erickson, Tyler Myers, um, the man responsible for the Canucks cap issues, um, was on Donnie and Dolly, the team on check yesterday. And he talked about Louis Erickson very briefly, and he kind of laughed about it because Dolly asked him uh, what the latest is on the uh, Erickson situation. And he basically just said, yeah, we don't know. Uh, Maybe when the time buyouts come, uh, we'll see if that's the way to go. But my, my point being, the reason I'm bringing this up, that doesn't sound like a guy whose client is planning on retiring. No. No. Like, the only way the Canucks are getting out of this is if they're buying him out or burying him. And a, lot of, a lot of people are like, oh, Louis is going to retire. Like, people are really hopeful about that retirement, and that you, doesn't that doesn't I bode well. I think we well. talked about this last week. People are on Twitter like, well, Beagle's going to be on LTIR. Louis is going to retire. And then it's like, boom, all this cap space is yeah, up and there. Like, now they target Dougie Hamilton. Yeah, Seattle's going to pick up Holtby. And it's like, then now you have 14 million cap space. It's like, <laughs> everything's yeah, but fine. Louis is not going to retire. Like, he is nope. not going to just retire. He's not going to take that $3 million and then retire either. He's going to go down and make that $3 million living in probably one of the nicest houses in Abbotsford and just hanging out, you know, for another year. He just he might did even it still live in Vancouver. It's like an hour. Drive sure, or you can take his helicopter. Rush hour, private though. jet, like he's, we talked about last week. He's going in rush hour. You know how much I hate rush hour well, on the yeah, number but, one. But it's like, <laughs> is the HL team going to care when Louis Erickson shows up half an hour late to the game? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, the, like the fans, the fans will the paying fans with all their yep. Louis Erickson Abbotsford Aces jersey. By the way, can we talk about the short list? Yeah, after let's do, it. Let's do, do you do you want to do that now? Let's do this now. We'll we'll talk draft and prospects after. Okay, we, uh, let's mention the interview that we have Go for before it. we before we get to the AHL stuff. Uh, so I sat down with Scott Morrow, who, man, like, you know, I I looked at a lot of these draft prospects that are kind of available there in the second round, and Morrow is very impressive. Uh, very impressive offensive right shot defenseman. A lot of people like him. Uh, I know Disto, one of our, our loyal listeners, he's been he's been hoping for this interview or us to talk about Morrow. So we got Morrow for this, uh, this interview. He was a lot of fun. Scotty knows... Uh, he knows uh, uh, Jackson Coons pretty well. They played together at Shattuck as well, so we were joking about that off air. I told him, you know, he's also, which was funny, because Jackson Coons, when he was on the show, he said his favorite cereal, his favorite sweet cereal was Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Scotty's got the same one. So he uh, he's going to be going to UMass next year and should be a very high pick. I mean, like, a lot of people have him in the first round just from his skill set, but there's, there's a lot of talk of him potentially sliding into the second round, and if he's there at 41... Makes a lot of sense for the Canucks pipeline to go with this guy. So we'll get to his interview in a second. But yeah, let's let's go with the AHL list here. I know you got it in front of you now. Season ticket holders have a short list for team names to pick from for the Abbotsford AHL team. Aces, Arrows, Avengers, Aviators, Canucks, Golden Eagles, Pilots, Millionaires, Sockeyes, and Falcons. And they get to pick either Fraser Valley or Abbotsford as the team location name. I like Abbotsford Aces. I think I'm going to stand by that. But I was also thinking about this. The Abbotsford Pilots are a junior B team in the PIJHL. I think that's what the league's called. Um, like they, they play in Abbotsford. The Abbotsford Pilots are already a team. Hmm. So I wonder if they go through a rebranding, if that's what wins. I don't think that's a scenario they'll have to get to. Um, you know, maybe the Canucks buy them out to... Uh, to change their name, just give them a nice chunk of change to change their name. I don't really like the name Golden Eagles. Golden Knights already in the NHL. Colorado Eagles 
already in the AHL and I believe is going to play in the in the uh, Abbotsford division, yes. aren't they? Yeah, okay. they are. So um, I don't know about that. That's like having the Knights in the NHL and then the Golden Knights as well. Yeah, I mean the Golden Eagles. You know, it's Aquilini's brand, so that's that's yeah. why it's in there. Um, you know, it's it's the Blueberry Farm, it's the golf course, it's all that. It's it's a PR nightmare, is what it is. If it's Golden Eagles, I think someone someone out on Twitter it might have been Cody who posted. Of course, you, it was Cody. If you search up <laughs> like Golden Eagles in British Columbia news. It's not good. It's a lot of yeah. things about the water. Um, the thing that I wanted to bring up was like, yes, that's the list, right? And I think a lot of people are thinking whoever wins the vote is going to get the name. That's not how it is. That's not how it's written out on this for the AHL season ticket holders. It says, take a look. Let us know your faves, which is really funny that this is like <laughs> the official thing. Take a look. Let us know your faves, and we will include your input in the final decision. They aren't voting on who is going to be. They're going to give their input to what name they like the most. But if there's an overwhelming number for sure. one, they're going to go with it. But I don't think there is. I think there's a lot of people that are in a lot of different... Like, you saw it on Twitter with the response to Dolly Wall's tweet yeah. there. A lot of people obviously like Aviators. Aviators seems to be, for me, like the overall favorite coming like from aviators. social media. You don't? I, I do like it, I think. The Abbotsford Aviators or Fraser Valley? Abbotsford. Okay. Fraser Valley really mixes it up for me, and I've heard this thrown around on Dolly and Do- or Donnie and Dolly. Oh, they but, talk about it all. The- Dolly yeah, but, is very, very passionate about Fraser Valley. Well, if it's Fraser Valley, Fraser Valley Sturgeon sounds awesome. Oh yeah, it that's does. and it, that's it's not, not even, even on the list, list here. No, Fraser Valley Sockeyes, I think it would have to be. Yeah, but the Richmond Sockeyes already a team. Yeah, I don't hate the name Sockeyes. I the ones that I definitely don't like. Uh, I don't like Canucks. I don't think that that makes no. a lot of sense. Even though it would be really easy for them to brand everything, it's just yeah. that's not it for me. Avengers was the first time I've seen that pop up, and that was interesting. You don't like that? You're going to get sued by Marvel. It's a nightmare. No, you can't. They don't own the Avengers. Yes, they do. I am 100% sure Marvel has Avengers copyrighted. There has no, but there's like, that's a a pretty common, not common, but that's a name that's out there for sports teams. Yeah, they obviously like. You know a team named the Avengers? Uh, no, but I, but there, but I know that I've seen teams with that out there. Arrows is not, not it for me. Uh, Golden Eagles is not it for me. Pilots is not it for me. I'm not even a huge fan of millionaires. I've seen a lot of people out there liking the name millionaires. I'm not a huge fan of that. Like to me, it's kind of down to aces, aviators, and that's kind of it. Like I like, I like Sturgeon, but that's not going to be on the list there. Um, so I'm kind of between aces and aviators to be honest. And, and I think that you have to go with Abbotsford, but I, I like the idea of them being Fraser Valley. I think that that like makes that a lot too. more sense. Yeah. Yeah, you got you got fans all over. Like we look at the listenership here, we've got fans in Mission, we've got people that listen in Ridge Meadows. I can't get over that. Like in this set, like in this actual like official thing for season ticket holders, <laughs> let us know your faves. Why is that in there? <laughs> why is that? That doesn't make sense to me. That you would use. Faves. They're cool. How do why, you do, fellow kids? This is why the the Abbotsford team is hiring a lot of people right now. <laughs> they need some help. Wow. They need wow. some milk. Watch it. I bet. I bet the person that wrote that was Marcus, the PR guy. Marcus. Uh, well, Marcus needs name. some help then. The guy we're friends with. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, I also like Falcons. Fraser Valley Falcons is a clean name. That sounds good. That if is a Fraser nice Valley, name. Fraser Valley Falcons. I've actually have to throw in there too. But yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that's kind of weird because it's like, do you like Abbotsford? Do you like Fraser Valley? Like they they give that as the first option, and then the second option is to pick your team. But it's like. I, you almost have to pick the city name first. Yes. Right? Before it makes sense. Because Fraser Valley Aviators sounds weird. No. Well, 
Fraser Valley Aviators. That well, doesn't sound the thing that bad. That we like, we like Aces a lot. Fraser Valley Aces. No, you can't do that. It's no, got to be Abbotsford Aces. Right? But that's why I think Aviators is going to be the one that wins this poll. But I'm, I'm not like, I'm not sure if that's what the Canucks are going to go with. I, I like. I like Fraser Valley Falcons or Abbotsford Aces. Yeah. I think if you're going to go with Abbotsford, it's Aces. If you're going to go with Fraser Valley, it's Falcons. To me, Fraser Valley Sturgeon's better, but it's not on the. It's not an option, unfortunately. So yeah, I'd have to go with Falcons there. Yeah, man. Okay, before we before we throw to Scott Morrow, uh, it's been on it's been on Twitter a lot. Let's quickly do a 2011, which has been annoying to me. I haven't liked the whole. It's been taking. It took over the Twitter timeline yesterday, but. I understand why. I mean, it's the yeah. ten year anniversary. Like we, I feel like we do this every year, where it's like it's the seven year anniversary, it's the nine year anniversary. But this is the tenth, so it's fine. Like breaking it down. So let's let's do what every single other show is doing. Where were you uh, for for twenty eleven? Okay, like I think people realize this, but I was eleven years old. Yeah, like Harmon and I were both eleven years old. I heard Harmon on uh, Sakaris and Price. He was downtown. Harmon was getting after it. Yes, Harmon's told his story here. Yeah, yeah, I remember his story. Oh my gosh, yeah. But his dad, his dad, with some quick, quick wits, got them out of there uh, early, which yeah. was very smart by Harmon's dad. Mm-hmm. Um, dialed in. Dialed in. Wow. We should have a segment with Harmon that's called Dialed In. I've said this before. Have you? (laughs) Yeah, I definitely have. Are you sure? Yeah, I said like when Harmon calls in, he's dialing in. I've said this multiple times. Anyways, where were you in 2011? (laughs) 2011? Uh, I was 11 years old. I was watching the game at home. Yeah. and then we watched the news after and yep. saw this cloud of smoke because, you know, we can see downtown uh, from my place, from my childhood home. And we, uh, yeah, we, we we just saw the smoke clouds rising and saw what was going on and it was absurd. And then, uh, yeah, the next day saw a bunch of people on the news cleaning it up. And yeah, I, I mean, I went to school. Like I went to bed shortly after the game ended because I had school the next day. Yep. No, I was, I was, here. I was, I was 18. I was in grade 12. So... We were watching it at uh, at my best friend's house, and yeah, we ended up just watching the news until like one in the morning, and just being like, "Wow, like I can't believe that happened." Like, like couldn't really understand it at the time because, like, well, you know, I mean, you really don't understand. It. You're 11 years old, but I was 18 too, so I'm just, you know, I was still a kid at the time. Uh, and yeah, it was like it, it was definitely definitely something I didn't really understand at the time. But now that we get like the every year anniversary of it, I think this is the last time we're gonna have to hear about it until maybe 20 or 25. Like you ain't you ain't talking about the twelve year anniversary. I bet they are. Oh man, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. No, but the neither. coolest the coolest thing that I saw was I think it was a reposted piece by Daniel Wagner about that the famous picture. Yes, the couple. The famous picture of the couple that's kissing on the ground in the middle of the riot. They're still together. Congrats! They, yeah, to how they, what a love story that is. They live in Australia and have a kid now. Yeah, that's incredible. That's amazing. And I think wasn't that picture like Time Magazine's like picture of the year or something? Yes, or CNN or something. Someone's, Some yeah. someone called it picture of the year yeah. or whatever. It was a good photo because oh, you cool, know yeah. the story behind that is the woman got hit down by a police riot shield or whatever. Oh really? Yeah. Um, and she was like panicking, so her boyfriend I can't remember his name. I think Alex Thomas is her name. I don't remember the guy's name, um, but yeah, she, he like just, he just said, he's like, yeah, I started kissing her to calm her down. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was where the photo happened. And then, yeah, the guy who took the photo, Richard Lamb, uh, he was talking about it and he's like, yeah, the imagery there is that like he made sure that the police officer was out of focus, but still in the shot mm-hmm. um, and that the couple was the focus with the chaos behind them. And it, it's a cool photo, man. It's a very cool photo. Yeah, it is. Uh, 
Yeah, so that I didn't want to spend too much time on it because it's it's been annoying me to see all of it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't like talking yeah, about twenty. I think I, I'm glad that my editor didn't force me to write a, a ten year. No, I didn't run anything on Canucks Army, but I was like, well, you know what? We have enough stuff going up. Yeah, plus I knocked we, out bangers. Too. We we have been killing it at Canucks Army, man. Like Canucks Army is doing well right now. I wrote six thousand words you on did. Tuesday night. I you know it took me two hours to edit your thirty five hundred one. Two well, hours. Yeah, that's. That's probably on me then. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> it shouldn't take you two hours to read that article. So there was probably a lot of editing done. I did. But. I did do it. Well, you know, I like to edit quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the second half of the show as well. But I think, uh, let's get to Scotty or let's get to some ads first and then we'll get to Scotty. Um, so yeah, we're just going to play, play some ads here and then we'll go straight into my interview with, uh, Scotty Morrow of Shattuck, who's heading to UMass next year and uh, a potential guy available for the Canucks at 41 in the second round. So without further ado, uh, we'll throw the ads right now, and then on the other side, we'll get to Scotty Morrow. All right. You guys all know about Parallel 49 Beer from our commercials here on the show, and now we have a new announcement. Hello, Peach Bod. That's right. It's not all about the Beach Bod this summer. It's all about the Peach Bod this summer. This one's an interesting one, folks. A sparkling peach ale. So you're getting a beer with peach flavor on it, but it's also high in carbonation. It's definitely a different one, and I highly recommend going out there and giving it a try if you're into a peach-flavored beer. And that's something, you know, I'm pretty damn into. i got to get out and try it myself pretty soon here. I will report back on the show about this. Uh, so go out there and try the Peach Bod for yourself from Parallel 49 Beer. Check them out on Instagram, at Parallel 49, as in the numbers, and then beer, that's Parallel 49 Beer. And be sure to check out their website for more information about how you can get beer through Uber Eats. That's right, through those food delivery apps. Uber Eats, you can get your delivery from Parallel 49 Beer. Be sure to check out their website, Parallel49Brewing.com. That's Parallel, the numbers 49Brewing.com. The pandemic and a slow economy are making it tough on a lot of people to find steady, good-paying work. But one industry is bucking that trend. Construction companies are hiring and need more workers than ever before. Upload your resume to icba.ca and get noticed. With more than 3,000 employers on our ICBA team, our employment network can connect you to businesses crewing up for the 2021 construction season. Trades jobs that pay well, offer excellent benefits, invest in safety training, and give a firm career foundation. Check out icba.ca slash jobs. All right, we got to talk about Squish, Chris. We had it at Parallel Street Kitchen, which we're going to. We're hitting the links on Friday. Go check out the Parallel 49 Street Kitchen. Uh, fifth, what's, what's the address? You know it off the top. 1950 Triumph Street. 1950 Triumph Street. Park toward the Burnaby side, not the Vancouver side. That's what our rep, uh, Haley, told us last time. And we got in crap for, for parking in a parking lot. We, we did. We parked we in the Marine Workers Union uh, parking lot. Which, and- as a union, as a former union guy myself, I was pretty frustrated. That was an open parking lot. Anyways. No signs. No signs saying we couldn't. Just don't, a guy yelling at us. Yeah, don't park in the Marine Workers Union uh, parking lot, folks. But uh, we got to talk about Squish. We do have to talk Unless about Squish. Unless it's a weekend, because union workers, they don't work on the weekends. <laughs> Anyways. We got to talk about Squish. Available at all BC liquor stores. I've had the lemon one, Chris. And you know what I did recently? I had the lemon one with iced tea. It was good. Lemonade. Lemonade, which, no, it's, it, which is it's just what I wanted. Lemon. It just says I lemon. wanted to talk about was yeah, they have a lemon one, they have the regular one, and that's what I've seen people drinking and posting, you know, telling us on Twitter they've tried it, and everybody's tried it. It's obviously loved it because, like yeah. you said, it's actually really good. It is, and to me, like the original squish is solid, but to me, the lemonade's the better one. The pineapple lemonade is my favorite. So if people I still can to try find, that one. Yeah, if people can find the lemonade one, because I know it's pretty new. They just dropped the lemonade, like that's what we heard when we were at Parallel a couple weeks ago. That the lemonade's very new. 
So if that if you see the option for that, spring for the lemonade if you're down for lemonade. But otherwise, Squish is an excellent option as well. Bunch of different flavors come in the variety pack. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about the cherry lime, which I haven't tried yet. But my favorite right now is the pineapple, just because I like I like having some flavor in those seltzers. Like I don't just like having. You know, no flavored seltzer, seltzer yeah. like a lot of them are. So the ones that I've had with have had flavor, which is nice. So yeah, go out and, and try some squish. I highly recommend it. And we haven't had a bad review of any of them yet. No, we actually haven't. No. But let's get to Scotty Morrow now. Let's do it. So uh, now we're going to go to our conversation. Well, I guess my conversation uh, with Scotty Morrow of Shattuck. He's going to be a top 50 pick in this coming draft. Would be a very nice fit with the Canucks at 41. So without further ado, here's my interview with Scotty Morrow. All right, folks, joining me now, Scotty Morrow. You know him from ripping it up at Shattuck St. Mary's for the past five years. He's moving on to UMass next season. But before he gets there, he's got a big event coming up this summer with the NHL draft expected to be picked very high in the draft. Scotty, how you doing? You enjoying your offseason so far? Yeah, I'm doing great. Um, just spending some time at home with the family for the next couple weeks before heading up to UMass. So... Uh, just relaxing and, and training hard and trying to enjoy these few weeks. Absolutely, man. Well, it's a good time to involve, like get get involved in the summertime a little bit. Now that the world's kind of opening up, I kind of want to kind of want to start there. What was it like for you through COVID? Like, how tough was it for you to just get ice time and be able to continue to work towards really being a high draft pick in this coming draft? Yeah, I wasn't really able to get consistent ice until uh, August of last summer. Ever since the shutdown, so I kind of went like I started skating a bit in July. So. I had like three complete months off or four, well, three and a half um, since I had kind of shut down maybe second week of March. Uh, so half of March, April, May, June was all kind of nothing. Skated probably a handful of times in July and uh, really didn't get to start skating completely until August last summer. Um, but it was really good for me uh, from an off-ice perspective in terms of really being able to hone in on my weight training. Uh, I think it might have been a blessing in disguise because I made a a lot of good strides in that area last summer. Uh, just some off ice stuff, getting my body um, more ready to head up the pyramid here and uh, play some older players. So, um, yeah, it was, it was challenging, but it was good at the same time. Yeah, I mean, from from looking at you on the ice, you look like you're ready for the next level for sure with the size of you. So I'm wondering, like, how much how much work was it this off season that was maybe different compared to what you've done in the past as you're about to make that jump to NCAA hockey? Like, was it really focusing on putting on weight, putting on muscle, or was it kind of, you know, speed and, and agility sort of things? I think for me it's more explosiveness at this point. Um, I think my body's kind of at the perfect weight right now for, for uh, the player I am and uh, the player I'm trying to be. So um, I think just focusing on lower body strength and explosion and, and really getting quicker, uh, that first step, because that's everything in today's game, um, that's my biggest strength uh, focus from a strength training perspective this summer. Absolutely, and uh, kind of you mentioned it kind of off air as we were chatting a little bit, but you said you're a little bit of a hockey nut. But I'm curious, did you ever play any other sports growing up? I know baseball's got to be pretty big in Connecticut. Do you have uh, any time on the diamond or anywhere else? Oh, I I played baseball for uh, for like a year when I was maybe five years old, and I hated it because there was so much standing around. Um, I was kind of a kid who always loved to run around. So uh, sports like lacrosse and soccer were really. The things I kind of did outside of hockey, but hockey was always number one. I, I fell in love with it from a young age, and both my, my uncle and dad played. Um, so we were kind of a hockey family, so I got into it really quick. But I'm a really competitive guy. I like playing pretty much anything. Absolutely. So what's uh, what's your ping pong game like? I'm sure you get a little bit of that in with the with the teammates at Shattuck. I'm actually more of a pool guy. Oh, okay. uh, I'm, I kinda, yeah, I'm better at pool than I am at ping pong, but there's definitely guys better than me at both. Um, so... 
<laughs> well, good to hear. I don't hear a lot I of think... guys that are that are that like proud of their pool game. This is a first for me, I think. No, at Shattuck we were. We'd always play for money and stuff like that. It got a little intense sometimes, but we couldn't this year actually because uh, we weren't really allowed to gather in the game room area due to COVID. Um, but two years ago, our team was super competitive um, at pool. Super competitive. I mean, we played pretty much every day during our off periods and during our lunch period. So it's was, it was pretty intense. Interesting. I wonder if we'll see more uh, pool tables popping up in the NHL with all you guys at Shattuck moving on to the next level and stuff. Uh, uh, to, to talk about Shattuck a little bit, I mean, like we talked about earlier, you spent five years there. Uh, I mean, that's that's got to be a hell of an experience for you. But what I found was kind of interesting from hearing some other interviews that you've done was you put a PowerPoint together for your parents so that you could go to Shattuck. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. No, uh, when I was in seventh grade, um, actually after the Quebec Peewee tournament, uh, Shattuck reached out to me. My parents, well, my dad and my uncle actually uh, both attended Northwood up in upstate New York, um, which is kind of played against all these other Eastern prep schools. Uh, my dad was always kind of looking at me to, to head on to one of those Eastern prep schools, but Shattuck really popped up after his time. He didn't know too much about it, um, but once I kind of researched it after he told me that they, they reached out, I mean, I saw they had like what thirty seven NHL picks or players or some some crazy number, but like thirty seven something. So mm-hmm. that had to do with the NHL, and that just got me hooked. Um, and then the other thing that was awesome was that uh, you got to play so many more games there. Um, and sometimes with these Eastern prep schools, you don't always get ice in the, the fall or the spring, and the season's really only like three months. Um, but Shattuck's year round, and like I said before, I'm a hockey nut, so. Um, kind of seeing all that, uh, I had to do a little bit of convincing on my parents, made like a 10 or 12 slide PowerPoint. I think I still actually might have it somewhere around here, uh, printed out, but, uh, I made that for them. And once they kind of saw it, I took initiative and was really serious about it. Um, and all the challenges that came with it, uh, they were fully supportive of it. So it was a blessing that my parents were able to support me and give me that opportunity. And I want to know what it's kind of like to, to go there, like as I guess a 13 year old or 14 year old player. Like, are you guys living on campus and just kind of, like, having that hockey mentality, like, every single day, 365, while you're there? Yeah, I mean, my first year, like, um, you're kind of thrown in, like, there's 20 Bantam kids, and everyone's kind of older than you. Um, everyone's always, like, most of those guys on the older teams have already been there, because um, you kind of just, everyone really, most guys come in as Bantams and, and just keep moving up. Um, so, I mean, as a first-year guy all on the Bantam team, like, maybe for a couple weeks, you're just like, what the hell did I get myself into? But then you kind of realize, like, there's 20, 20 or 19 other guys that uh, are in the exact same situation as you, same age as you, away from home. Every other guy every guy was the best player on their old team, and uh, now they're thrown into a better environment, and everyone's kind of having the same struggles you are against better competition, and finding your role and what type of player you're going to be on that team. Um, so you can really create some really lifelong bonds and stuff like that. And I mean, the best friendship, I, best friendships I have from my time at Shattuck were the guys that I played Bantams with. Um, so, I mean, once you kind of, kind of unite together as a group of 20, all living together on campus and practicing at the same time, doing the same classes, stuff like that. I mean, just having a bunch of guys around you in the same situation is really helpful. So you kind of learn to have your teammates as your second family there. Yeah, absolutely. And what's what is it kind of like to to go to one of these prep schools? Because you know we're up here in Canada on the West Coast. Like for us, it's junior hockey. It's the WHL. It's the CHL. All that kind of stuff. Even the BCHL to a degree. But I'm wondering, like, what's one thing about Shattuck that maybe isn't done around the world at these prep schools or these junior leagues in Canada that we see? Like, what's one big takeaway that you're going to take away from your time there? Yeah, 
Um, I think the best thing about Shattuck is just how much uh, they put you in a position to outdevelop people by getting you extra ice time. Um, like compared to the East Coast prep schools before, like I said, um, being able to play the full year. Um, and also at Shattuck, there's three there's three sheets of ice. Um, there's a little sh- like two two main sheets and then a little sheet, which is just pretty much specifically just for people to go out there and screw around on and yeah. and work on skills and stuff like that. Uh, they got coaches doing skill sessions pretty much all day um, whenever you want to show up and uh, work on your skills um, or your skating or your shot or whatever they're focused on. Uh, you can always find a way. They send out a, a program every week um, at the beginning of each week of all the skill sessions and stuff like that. So um, at the end of the day, like it's just getting your 10,000 hours. And I think Shattuck puts you in the best position to do that um, and just out-develop people. So, I mean, that's why all these guys from Shattuck um, have gone on to find success, the real the real hockey nuts out there like Sidney Crosby, Nathan McKinnon, guys like that. It's because they, no one kicked them off the ice at Shattuck like they do at other places. So um, I, was, I was blessed to follow in their footsteps and kind of have the same experience. Yeah, and you're talking about two forwards there. And from watching you play, like somewhat, somewhat of your game kind of has that forward feel to it. I'm curious, when did you – kind of make the decision to be a defenseman was that kind of always from just growing up young or were you just not quick enough when you were younger and they put you on the back end like how did it come to you becoming a defenseman um uh, to be honest my dad played d I, i've never played forward in my life up until uh in the ushl playoffs this year i got thrown in at center in game five for a period got some shifts at forward in game six uh or not i'm sorry game three and game four yeah. not game five and game six but um no, it was, I mean, I've always played D, and I've always just liked that. I, I'm a player um, who plays with my head up, and I like to see the ice and kind of be able to weave through people with my skating, my stick handling, um, being able to know where everyone is and uh, build up speed when I have the puck on my stick and make something happen. Like, that's always been an attraction of playing D, um, just having a whole play in front of you. And I know you put up 22 goals in the 19-20 season, uh, put up eight goals this year as well, but I heard you in another interview talking about you know, some games you're getting 20 to 25 sh- like shot attempts on net. Uh, and one of the things that you really wanted to work on was you're shooting this offseason, moving into, I guess, NCAA. Uh, what are some things that you're kind of trying to key in on your shot? Are you looking for accuracy or just trying to build strength for some power behind it? Um, I think the number one thing that affected me this year was honestly confidence. Hmm. Um, like, the year before, everything was rolling for me. I mean, like you said, I scored 22. And this year is... Um, I, I think I like no, no exaggeration. I, I hit between fifteen to twenty posts with only eight goals, and it's just like when you see stuff like that happening um, with the amount of like the volume of shots I was getting to, um, it affects you mentally, like yeah. up to a certain point. Um, and I think just honing in on my shot this summer, uh, I, I decided to up my flex on my stick, um, which I think will really help. Uh, me from from a one-timer perspective um and i think like i'm taking 500 shots a day every single day this summer um so that's really helping me get my strength up so i can take a good wrist shot with an 85 flex um when prior i was using a 75 flex um but i mean i think it's just heaviness um even if it gets hit by the goalie you need to make sure that it still has a chance to keep going and go in um if the goalie's in a bad position because a lot of these shots like even in the nhl um, you, you watch Alexander Ovechkin has the one-timers he scores. They hit the side of the goalie, the rib cage, the blocker, and still go in just because he has so much power behind it. So just getting some pure power on it. Um, and then just confidence, too. So um, I definitely need to work on my shot. And I think I've made some good strides while I've been home, actually. So I'm excited to see uh, how many goals I can score in the future. 
Absolutely. I think a lot of people are. And, yeah, you must be kind of like the first overall pick if you're playing with no goalies and hitting posts then. Jeez, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no goalies, I'm a stud. <laughs> Good to hear it. And now I, I kind of want to take it back to this this past season here because you had, you talked about it. You were there for four years. You were very comfortable to play in the high school hockey league and finish up your time at Shattuck. Was there any kind of decision-making that was a little bit tough for you going into this year to maybe leave and go to a different league, or were you all about coming back for Shattuck for that fifth year? I actually personally uh, always wanted to go to the USHL this year. Mm. I accelerated my schooling, actually. Um, I was set to grad. This was supposed to be my senior year, but prior to it, um, for two, two different summers, I took online school. Um, just be able to skip a year and uh, hopefully be able to play juniors this this past year um, without having to do school. But then the COVID situation kind of happened, and my family thought it was the best thing for me just from a safety and health standpoint um, just to be back there because I have three younger siblings who were there too. Mm. Uh, my whole family was out there. So um, I kind of had to um, adjust for my original plan of playing in the USHL. I ended up being able to get there for the playoffs for six games. But... Um, it wasn't always in the plans, but Shaq's a great place, and um, I, I had a lot of fun this year, and like I said, I was able to get on the ice at times, so um, it wasn't all bad, and uh, I mean, God has a plan for everything, so um, I, I'm, I'm still in a pretty good position today, I think, so um, I, I wasn't originally supposed to be at Shattuck this year, but everything kind of worked out the way it did. Well, absolutely, and all the added ice time, like you mentioned, has got to help for sure, and and something that I like to see in your game this year compared to last year was just your playmaking ability. Was that something you tried to key on a little bit? Because you put up 40 assists this year in 30 games coming off of a year where you had 45 and 46. So was playmaking something you kind of wanted to add a little bit more to your game this past year? Yeah. Uh, and I think a, uh, part of it was just having the mindset to be a passer more. And then another part of it was having the mindset to be a passer more because your shots are not going in and just kind of being smart and saying, okay, it's me and my teammate both have the same percentage of um, scoring in this situation. I'm snake bitten right now, so maybe it's a better decision to pass my teammate. Um, so sometimes I had to kind of make, like, swallow, swallow my pride and make decisions like that and just be a passer. Um, and it was also an area of my game I wanted to prove to people I could do. Um, and I, I, could, I think I showed this year really well in terms of my passing ability and my vision and stuff like that. So um, those two kind of things kind of factored into it, but... Um, I think I proved myself as a passer this year. Yeah, and I think what we're starting to see with defensemen now in the NHL is, you know, you have to have that combination of being a good skater, a good playmaker. If you have the shot, that's an added bonus, and I don't think you have to look very far for fans here in Vancouver. We see Quinn Hughes every night and see what he's able to do. How much do you kind of look at what the new age defensemen are doing in the NHL and try and say, like, wow, this is kind of how my game fits. Like, your your game seems to fit what we're starting to see from new age defensemen, but you kind of have the size advantage on a lot of these new age defensemen. So do you kind of try and, like, be a little bit more physical, or are you kind of just looking at really using your skating and playmaking to your advantage? Yeah, I think the biggest kind of benefit about the way I play is I play like a little guy, but I'm big. <laughs> like, I can skate like... I can skate like I'm 5'10", but I'm 6'2". Um, right. And I think that's one thing that's really enticing about me as a prospect. Um, and I think I have a lot of a lot of ways to go to get stronger, but once I really develop physical play, I can also play that style of game when some of these um, smaller 5'9", 5'10", guys um, have a little more trouble with. Um, so I think it just makes me more well-rounded um, being a bigger guy, but um, I think there's plenty of new-age defensemen 
um, who are really turning the NHL into a completely different league with the way they affect the game from the back end. I don't know if you caught the the Vegas game last night, but the impact Shea Theodore had um, with his, I mean, outstanding plays um, really changed the outcome of that game. Like, like, you see so many defensemen nowadays just taking over games. Um, guys like Hughes, like you said, guys like McCarr, guys like Adam Fox. So um, I just really look up to, to those guys and um, I think my, my skill set um, can definitely translate into me being a player who, who can do that one day. And I think some of the names you mentioned there, the interesting point about them is that a lot of them went through NCAA hockey and kind of added skills to their game. What's one of the things that you want to get you know, added to your game in your NCAA time before you make the jump to pro? Um, I think just to keep on, keep on developing my scoring ability um, and my physical play uh, and my skating because um, skating is everything in today's game. Um, and I'm a big guy, but I can still put um, more strength into my frame and uh, develop a more physical presence, so there's that. And then I already talked about my shot a good bit. So, um, And then just being more reliable defensively, um, have, making smarter decisions with the puck, uh, having better better gaps, better play in my own corners. So just cleaning up a lot of stuff and continuing to get faster, stronger, um, more skilled um, until it's time to be able to make the jump. And how excited are you to get to that level? I mean, you know, for a lot of Americans, NCAAs, I mean, for you, I'm guessing the NHL is your dream, but for a lot of guys that are growing up playing hockey in America, the NCAA is their dream. For you, how excited are you to get to that level and just see how you can really compete against some of the best players in the world at that age? Um, well, I just love being challenged um, in all aspects. Um, so whether it's making it to the NCAA, seeing how I do there, making it to the NHL, I mean, I'm the type of guy who always has something driving me, has something motivating me. Um, and even uh, jumping from high school to the USHL this year, I mean, that was something where I thought I really um, took a step towards the end of the year, uh, both in my national tournament and heading to the USHL. And really, uh, in the two biggest moments of my season, really stepped up my game and uh, elevated my level of play. So I'm someone who always rises to the challenge. That's kind of who I've been my whole life um, in, in the game's and the moments where the stakes are the highest, um, I think that's when I play my best. So anytime I'm challenged to step up a level, I think I'll, I'll respond really well to that. And you talk about challenges at that level. Like, what the hell's going through your mind when they tell you you're going to be playing center tonight? Oh, it's pretty wild. Um, <laughs> but I, I just try to, honestly, I just try to use my skating and just buzz around and make things happen. Because, um, I, I mean, I'm a skilled player. Um, once I get the puck on my stick, I'm always confident I can make things happen. So I'm um, just trying to use my skating, even though I didn't really know the position at all, um, just to try and get the puck on my stick. And then from there, it's just anything can happen. Uh, I'm a really creative guy and just reading the situation and trying to get shots and create offense for my team. So um, it, was, it was pretty surreal when the coach asked me to do that. But um, I was like, all right, let's do it, um, whatever it can help the team. And um, it was a pretty cool experience. Uh, I just wish we won. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I want to kind of move on to uh, one of the players that you have a connection with here in the Vancouver Canucks organization, this being a Canucks podcast. Uh, you mentioned it. We kind of talked about it off here. You played a couple years with Jackson Coons at uh, Shattuck. Can you maybe just tell us something about Jackson that we maybe don't know or maybe he doesn't want us to know? Um, I think the best description of Jackson I can give Canucks fans is quietly competitive. Um, he is never going to be the type of guy who's a raw, raw guy, but man, when that guy, like, if you get in a battle with him in the corner or something like that, like, in practice, anytime, like, he, he's a fiend. So, um, I think he's just one of those guys who goes about his business quietly, but, um, 
you, you look at him and, and you kind of know that he has another level inside of him of competitor that he gets to and elevates to that um, it's pretty scary for opponents sometimes, especially with, with his size um, and being the power forward that he is. So um, I love playing with Jackson. Did you ever get to be a partner with him? I mean, left shot, right shot makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, we played on the power play together. Um, he was really good on the power play. So, and how much is that like Board power play? Power how much is that something that you think is? I mean, the way that you move the puck and the way that I've seen from you, just kind of like sneaking through through four checking forwards in the offensive zone, and you sort of, your ability to kind of move around. Like you kind of talked about it. You said that you kind of like to move like a five foot ten guy, but like I've seen you sneak into some little holes on the power play and just sneak by guys. How much do you work on just trying to make yourself the best power play quarterback as possible? Because as a big offensive right shot guy, that's that's a really desired position for a lot of NHL teams to have in their prospect pool. Yeah, every single day. Um, that's what I work on when I skate. Just um, one of the biggest uh, positives about my game and my skill set is my elusiveness, especially with the puck and being deceptive um, and creating shooting and passing lanes for myself, creating space. Um, so, I mean, that's something I work on every morning when I skate, um, and it's something I've been working on for years. Um, my dad's really instilled into me. Um, so it's at this point, it's kind of second nature to me to kind of make those kind of plays uh, jumping into little pockets of space, um, moving guys' feet uh, who are coming at me with, with my moves and uh, my deceptiveness. So um, I think that's something I do really well. Absolutely. I, I got to take it back to, to a question that I asked Jackson. I think I mentioned it to you off air as well. But let's say you're, you're 13 years old. You don't have hockey on Sunday. You get a massive bowl of cereal. It can be as sweet and as sugary as you want. What sugary cereal, cereal are you going with? Ah, I'm probably going Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Um, that was always my favorite growing up. I haven't eaten a bowl of cereal in a while, though. Um, <laughs> I've turned into more of an eggs and bacon guy these days. Mm. Um, but Cinnamon Toast Crunch, probably. Good stuff. I've heard, you know, I've talked to a lot of prospects, and it seems like the go-to thing that they're good at cooking is breakfast. Are you falling in that category? Do you have another specialty that you can whip up in the kitchen? Yeah, lately I've gotten into, like, a breakfast burrito type of phase. Oh, yeah. Um, just bacon, bacon, egg, and cheese in a burrito uh, every morning. Uh, make two of those. So that's what I've been doing this summer. What's the feeling on potatoes inside of that burrito? Are you like a hash brown in there, or are you just staying away from that? Uh, I stay away from it most of the time. Um, yeah, not really my thing. All right, well, go-to hot sauce for that burrito. What's your go-to? I'm not really a hot sauce type of guy, especially not at breakfast. Mm. Um, Doesn't wake you up enough? No, I'd, I'd rather just load it up with cheese, to be honest. Fair enough, that's a good call. And through this through this weird COVID year that we've had, a lot of people have spent a lot of time getting to watch a lot of Netflix, a lot of Amazon Prime, whatever you're watching. What's something that you watched over the break that you really enjoyed? Um, I'm more of a movie guy than a TV show guy, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, let me think. Uh, something I've watched recently. Um, let's see. Well, over the break, actually, probably the, one of the better movies I watched was uh, this movie, Inception. Uh, it's my best friend's best movie. So when I remember right when COVID started, he like I hadn't watched it, um, and he really encouraged me to watch it, um, Inception. Uh, it's a pretty popular movie, so yeah. it's pretty mind-blowing. Anyone who's listening, um, I, recommend, I recommend watching that. And how are you um, with I don't know if it's on Netflix or not. I know it used to be, but yeah. it might still be not. 
And, I mean, that's not technically like, like a scary movie, but how are you with scary movies? Are you into that? Are you not into that? What's what's the deal there? I recently started getting into it a little more. I've watched a couple of them. Um, but it's never really been my thing, I wouldn't say. Uh, but I, I enjoy a good one, for sure. What's one of the freakier ones that you've watched recently? Um, I've seen... The freakiest one is probably this movie called Us. It came out in maybe 2019. Hmm. It's it's pretty creepy. The first half of the movie, especially. Yeah. You don't really know what's going on. Basically, the premise of it is like there's these evil like every person in the world in America has like this evil double double who comes up from the underground and tries to kill them. So it's 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 kind of how it sounds. It's pretty pretty creepy. Yeah, that's a big note for me. Uh, I'm good on that one. Uh, <laughs> so so now looking forward uh, to the draft. Um, it, it's a strange one because you don't get to be in the building, and, and we obviously hosted the draft here a couple of years ago in Vancouver, and you know got a chance to be there for both days. It was such an incredible experience. Are you kind of disappointed that you aren't going to get to experience that in person this year? Um, I think it's kind of kind of good and bad because um, I get to focus on being around my family more mm-hmm. uh, instead of kind of being at the draft but also being at the draft is a super unique experience in itself um, so it's kind of bittersweet um, I'm not really focusing on what could have been um, whether it was if it was in person I'm just gonna focus on enjoying the moment with my family and uh, just taking it all in from home mm-hmm and if, if Vancouver is able to draft you, whether it be sometime in the first round or, or even early in the second round, depending where you go, uh, one of the big food items over here is sushi. So I'm curious, can I get your review on sushi? Have you tried it? What do you think of it? Oh, I love sushi. Um, my go-to is a shrimp tempura roll. Oh, yeah. Um, that's that's my favorite type. So I'm a, I'm a good sushi guy. Uh, actually, in, in Minnesota, we had a good sushi place Uh called Mizuki Fusion. Shout out to them uh, mm-hmm. in, in Faribault where Shattuck is. There's not too many restaurants or options around there, but that place is always good. Um, so I'm sure every guy who's ever played at Shattuck has gone, like, loves that place. So um, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know how comparable Minnesota sushi is to uh, <laughs> to Vancouver sushi, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sushi fan. That's good. I'll, I'll ask you for your lobster reviews when you get to Massachusetts. That's what I'll need uh, your advice for, I guess. All right, I'm a big clam chowder guy already, though, so that's another <laughs> area of food that I'm a big fan of. Well, that's good. They're going to love you there in Massachusetts, then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, uh, Scotty, really appreciate you taking some time out of your day, and as I've kind of mentioned, uh, you know, if you happen to land in Vancouver, there's a lot of people hoping your name's on the ballot when they send in their picks, so uh, best of luck with this draft coming up here. I know it's going to be a fun month and, uh, I guess, six weeks now ahead of you, uh, and all the best, man. Hopefully you can uh, have a good time with your family when the draft happens. Awesome. Thank you. It's my pleasure coming on. All right. And a massive thank you to Scotty Morrow and all of our sponsors at the Canucks Conversation Podcast. Chris, that was a fun little chat you had with him. Six foot two offensive defenseman. What's the story there? Man, he's, uh, you can hear from the interview there, loves to play offense, loves to, to play offense, and even got to play a little bit of forward in the USHL this past year, which was kind of a, a shocker for him, as you guys heard in the interview there. But yeah, like I said, this guy moves like a, like a five foot nine defenseman, but he's, he's big. And if he can round out a few things in his defensive game, he's going to be a deadly prospect who, I've heard a lot of people, a lot of scouts that I've talked to, and a lot of talent evaluators saying he's probably slipping into the second round. 
Mm. Like there's a there's a good belief out there that he slips into the second round, and and if he's there, that's a very talented spot, a very talented player in a spot where the Canucks really need their pipeline. So he'd be an interesting one. But I kind of want to use that. Uh, to transition into some other players that I like for the Canucks at 41. Obviously, I wrote the article uh, earlier this week about 13 players that the Canucks could be that could potentially select in the in the 2020 NHL draft for their second round pick, which is 41st overall. Technically, the 40th pick because the forfeited Arizona. pick, but it's going to be the 41st pick in the end. People are people in the comments. It's the 40th pick. It's the 40th pick. Yeah, it's the 40th pick, but it's in the 41st spot. So I don't want to get into that here on the podcast, even though I just did. Um, first one, obviously, is Scotty Morrow. I think it's a, it's a great option for him to be there. If he's there for the Canucks, he's a good pick. Um, but then at the same time, like there's some options that I really liked from watching some film on these guys. One of them that stuck out was the big winger uh, from Finland, Samu Salmanen who has two older brothers that are 6'4 and 6'5, and he's the smallest of the group at 6'3. So it's kind of like uh, Marshall and his family from How I Met Your Mother, if you know this at all. Uh, but he's an interesting guy, big, strong Finnish player who plays like a typical like Finn that we've seen come into the NHL over the past you know 10 years where they're just, these guys are ultra-physical players. He's got good, powerful skating, interest to see what he can do. And and like I said, for a big guy, like at 6'3, he really gets around the ice nicely. Uh, just a bunch of names that I like. I liked it right D, but this one was a really interesting one from just popping off the tape with a skating ability. Uh, another Finnish player, actually, Alexi Hemo Salmi, uh, right D, 5'11", 170. Really good skating guy, like really good skating from a back end. Like a, the only thing that was kind of like threw me off a little bit was like, is that the type of right D that the Canucks need? But then in the end, it's like the NHL is moving that way so much that I think that you can have a guy playing right D that is that size and isn't a big guy. Like you don't need the big defensive defenseman to always be on the right side. I think that the Canucks, they do have a lot of good left shot offensive guys, but this would be another guy to add to the pipeline that could get over to the AHL soon and could actually start to contribute. And then the, the final name I wanted to bring up that um, I like I like a lot, and I'm really curious to see if he's there, um, was the big uh, big Swedish center who, who got a really good opportunity at the U18s this past year, Victor Sternborg, who's a little bit smaller, 5'11", but 205, built like a truck this guy is, uh, coming off a year where he played in the SHL already. He got 30 games in the SHL. Um, was one of the top scoring guys that's draft eligible out of the SHL. Obviously, Eklund's way ahead of everyone. But Stornborg, this is a hard one to pronounce. Stornborg was uh, was playing like twelve to fourteen minutes a night in the SHL as a seventeen year old. So to think that he's going to go back to the SHL next year and maybe be playing you know fourteen to sixteen minutes a night as a center is going to be really interesting to see. And and I kind of I like his fit because. He's another guy out of Aqua, another guy who's playing for a very good coach over there in Aqua, a name that I threw out a couple of weeks ago when, when we were talking about potential coaches coming to the NHL. So he's got a great coaching staff there. Vacqua is doing an excellent job of developing players. And at 5'11", 205, like, I know he's not six foot two, but he's 205 already at 18 years old. This kid is going to be a strong player who looks like a center for sure. So that's another need for the Vancouver Canucks. And Obviously, they've had pretty good success drafting Swedish guys. Uh, so, Sternborg. Um, it's really hard because it's S-T-J. Stjorn. Sternborg. No, Stjorn. Well, Disto is going to let us know what we're doing. Yeah, Disto will let us know for uh, sure. It's actually, I think, Sternberg because it's, uh, it's the O. It's like the O with the umlau. So. Oh, that's, that's pronounced I. So, Sternberg. 
Let's just let's 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 pass over. Let's that. move on here. Okay. Well, I know that you you've been I, doing some, some stuff too. It's not uh, just me. People have been asking. But actually, me. sorry. Quickly before I wrap this up, people. I think a lot of people enjoyed the thirteen players that I wrote about, and we'll give a spoiler for people because it's coming out tomorrow. tomorrow. Yep. Tomorrow, I got seven more, seven more names, and I made a lot of people in the comments were like, "You can't get Trevor Wong. He's under. He's under five foot ten. You can't get Victor Sternborg. He's under six foot." So guess what? The seven players that I'm bringing up tomorrow, all over six foot. The, the Canucks Army comment people are going to love this. They want big bodies who can skate. I got seven do. more options for the Canucks uh, that's going to be dropping tomorrow on Canucks Army. Okay. I have started my research. People have been asking for weeks. Which goalie should the Canucks draft? Who should they be looking at? Give me names. Give me scouting reports. I've started my research. And I have found a goalie, Chris. I have found a few goalies. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through my my short list. Uh, this will be an article dropping on Canucks Army that'll be, uh, you know, filled with video and why I like these guys. Uh, there are a few names, and I said this last week, but Sebastian Casa is somebody I don't like. Uh, you know, six foot six. I bet he could be great, but he's gonna need a lot of work at sealing those small gaps in tight, Chris. Um, you know. Competing in the WHL, good for him. Number one ranked amongst North American goalies. I have him as a, for the Canucks at least, don't draft. Don't, don't take Sebastian Costa. Now, I, I think he's a good goalie. I think he's so a chance to succeed. A lot of people have him in the first round. Exactly. Like the tail end of the first yeah, round, Yeah, I, right? I think he could be a great goalie. I don't think the Canucks should draft him. That's, you know, this is the Canucks Conversation podcast. Uh, you know, if I was doing rankings for goalies, I would have Wallstead first, Costa probably second, and then it would be like Goodrow or Kolosov, um, right behind, right behind Kasa. But again, those guys, with the exception of Kolosov, are guys I don't think the Canucks should be drafting. I, I don't think the Canucks should be taking a use, taking a goalie with their what, their first or their second round pick. Last year, if Blomquist was in the third round, they would have taken him instead of Yermo. I would have been all on board with that. Blomquist is a great goalie; he's going to be great. Um, but again, that that's not how everything played out. It was second round for for Blomquist by Pittsburgh. Now, the goalies that I'm looking at, Alexei Kolosov in Russia, ranked number two for international goalies, played in the KHL, nine games in the KHL with a 9-11 save percentage, okay? He's probably going to be a second, third round pick, so that would be, you know, higher upside, or, or sorry, not not super high upside, but he's pretty polished already, and he's he's gonna need some work. Um, but yeah, did, didn't didn't play great at the Double uh, IHF World Championship for Belarus, uh, which which is really interesting. Belarus um, has some players this year, man. They do, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It, I sorry, I'm just reading my list that I have. Belarus here. has the forward, they have the defense, and they have the goalie that are going to go probably in the first two rounds. Yeah, which is good do. for Belarus. Good for Belarusian hockey. Is that how you say it? Belarusian hockey. Belarusian, I think. Okay. Now the guy I really have my eye on is Aku Koskenvo in the Finnish Junior League. Played in the same league as Joel Blomqvist. Put up worse numbers than Joel Blomqvist. He went two, three, and zero. Oh. With a 423 goals against average and 874 save percentage and one shutout in six games for Finland at the U18s, 292 goals against and 893 save percentage in 13 games in the junior league. Now, the caveat here: he has high upside. He does a lot of things, a lot of things right. His crease navigation is really good. I'm going to have a full report on him soon. Um, the thing with him is he's committed to attend Harvard University in 22-23. 
and he's going to be the first Finnish-born player to ever go to Harvard. Hmm. He's he has high upside. He is he is a similar pick. You no, know what's interesting about that is like a lot of these European players that come to the NCAA do one year and then go to the AHL. But with him going to Harvard, like I wonder if that's big enough of a deal to want to stay there for longer. Mm. It's Harvard. It is Harvard. You know that that's the only thing that I wonder about because like uh, was it Yan Kuznetsov? Is that who it was who went um, last year? Got drafted, went to the NCAA, and was already in the AHL. This past year, was it uh, the Flames that drafted him? I'm a little bit off here with this, but for who drafted him, but he's already moved on from the NCAA, moving into into AHL now. So, yeah, I know that a lot of these European does, but I wonder how different that is for not only a goaltender, but at Harvard, too. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is he's going to the thing. The, the reason I bring up Harvard, right, is because, you know, he is pretty polished already, but he's going to get good coaching at Harvard and he's going to get used to the North American style of game. Right. He's going to play against a lot of players that he's going to see at those next levels. Right. The North American style of game is different than Finland. We know this different than Europe. We we know all this. I think that's a that's a pick similar to Archer Silov's where maybe he's not super polished. But like like technically he's he doesn't have great technical abilities, but just the raw upside there is something that for a guy like Ian Clark to work with, that's something that if I'm the Canucks, I'm looking long and hard at. Um and then yeah, that that was kind of the main the main list that I had is just those two guys are kind of the ones I'm keeping my eye on. But again, there's also uh Benjamin Goudreau with Sarnia, and I was looking at him a little bit and He's he's really good at finding pucks through traffic. I think he might be the best goalie in this draft at uh, at reading the play and tracking pucks through traffic. And again, like he's super super athletic. And I don't know, man. That's that's probably going to be like he's number two ranked amongst North American goalies uh, from NHL NHL Central scouting rankings. So that's someone that's probably in the third round again. But if you can pick up Koskenvo, the guy I brought up before, the Finnish guy, in the fourth or fifth Was that round. the Belarus guy? No. Belarusian? No. That's uh, that's Kolosov. Okay. Um, sorry. The, the Koskenvo is the Finnish guy playing in Blanca's League. Um, okay. That's someone I'd keep my eye on if I was the Canucks. Uh, but again, Kolosov. Who's your favorite, then? Who's your favorite for the Canucks to draft? Koskenvo. 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 Okay. Aku Koskenvo. That's the Finnish one. Yes. Okay. Finnish player. Number four amongst international goalies. Okay. So Not great th- numbers. You got but the name here first now on the podcast. We got it out here in the middle of June. Yeah. I'll be I'll be having a you'll you'll see a lot of video and stuff. Yeah. The finish what the finished junior league? And I did this for Blomquist as well. When I was watching uh video of that goalie uh, of Blomquist and now Koskenvo as well, they have a camera right behind the net and they they like chop up a video, a video package of just the, pl- just the goalie making saves and reading plays. And it's perfect. Like it's, it's a goalie scouts dream. Well, Finland does a good job and, and the SHL does a really good job too. Same with every guy that I watch the SHL. They have a full, full cut videos of him. You just have to dig through the SHL website, yep. which doesn't translate like the KHL website translates to English, which is nice, but the SHL website, you just have to like dig through it in Swedish and try and find it, which isn't too, too hard once you've done it before. Uh, but the, the other name that I wanted to quickly that I missed, but because I didn't have him in my 13 names, but I put him in the second article because what he did at U 18s and you brought up the, the Belarusian goaltender. I want to bring up the forward, uh, Danila Klimovich who is a 6'187 pound winger 
and he ripped it up. I think he was the the third highest scoring draft eligible player at the U18s for Belarus and and really good shot was not on really anybody's boards going into the U18s. Like he was very low on a lot of boards, but now he's getting a lot of a lot of talk about potentially being a guy who's selected in the second round because of how well he showed at the U18s. And with such a weird year, it was so hard to scout a guy from a Belarus league. So that's another name. That's a big swing for the Canucks. If they want to go with with Klimovic, uh, big guy, good shot, really, really well-rounded offensive game from the U18s. He showed very well for that, and that was his moment, right? Like, the U18s was his moment to step up and showcase what he was able to do. So, you know, that's that's a big swing for the Canucks if they want to go in that direction. So, final thing I wanted to do with, with, a, with a prospect wrap-up here. Uh, for the Canucks, I saw some video of Dmitry Zlodiev working out with, uh, with my boy. Dmitry Zodiev out there with Nikolai Goldobin, working wow. with him and his trainer on the ice, and, and Sergachev's worked with him in the past, Olav's, Orlov's worked with him in the past. Uh, so yeah, Dmitry Zodiev getting to skate with not only some some NHL pros, but uh, some KHL pros as well, and he's putting in the work. So Zodiev mysteriously returns next year and forgets how to play in the defensive end of the ice. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's let's hope that he's just working on stick handling and stuff like that. Like, do keep doing your thing, but it's... Like every time I talk to Zlodiev, it's just like he is so obsessed with hockey, and to see him just working, you know, working every single day, it feels like <laughs> on his on his Instagram. I don't want to cut you off, but when I edited your interview with him, when uh, he was talking about Vasily Plakolson, he's like, he's a great leader, and he leads his comrades with. Oh, uh, I so was good. like, oh, JD's gonna love this. So good. Yeah, I he... was like, because like for people that don't know. Chris doesn't speak Russian, and Dmitry Zlodiev doesn't speak English. These interviews... No, are he speaks d- English. Does he? Just, I thought these were done over Google yeah, Translate. Yeah, but he doesn't want to talk. Like, we've talked before on the phone. Okay, we've done okay. a FaceTime before, and then he said he's he'd, he'd rather have his quotes be able to, like, type them out. Okay, yeah. So okay, I'm wondering okay. if he does maybe do a little bit of translation when I do... Because we, we talk in English when we're texting. Oh, okay, okay. But so we've I thought talked you were on do- the phone. He does speak okay. English, yeah. Okay, I thought you were doing... Uh, Rush, you were typing in Russian, or no. you were typing in English and then translating. No, to like Russian. we text in English. It's just wow, yeah. that's amazing. Like, his English start, response started that way, was though, right? Comrades, like that's what he said in English. That's amazing. Me. I love that so yeah. much. No, like yeah. Sometimes I've started in Russian and then I've yeah, asked okay. if they can speak English. That's why I got confused because yeah, because yeah, people around Pod Coles and I've I've had to speak Russian to them. Yeah, or like course. Google Translate Russian, what they're probably like reading it. Like, what the hell is this guy <laughs> trying to do here? Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, comrades. Hey, you I know like what we that. forgot. Uh, this episode, we forgot to do a poll question going into it. Yeah, which we is, did. You know, that's on you. That's this is your yeah, part of the job. Me. Yeah, you know, I do the editing. Are your you business here? Poll question. Let us know on Twitter. Here's Reply what, to the I tweet. Got one. Okay, I go got ahead. One. And we, maybe we can put this one out because I had a blizzard last night. I had a blizzard. I had a Reese's Blizzard add cookie dough into it. Okay, it's fine. It was like what you know. That's my go-to. They didn't. They didn't load it up like they normally do with the cookie dough, which is what I like. I need to have a lot of cookie dough in there, which are like. Kind of frustrated that I didn't get a lot of. So I was wondering, I think this might be a good poll question. Would you rather buy a blizzard at $7.50? That's how much a medium blizzard costs. They're damn expensive. Or like a, a regular sized McFlurry at $3. So you're paying more than two times as much for the medium blizzard. But like, I, I personally, I like McFlurry and I don't think the ice cream is that different from a blizzard. Like, I feel like it's a similar ice cream where it's kind of just like it's made for, for mixing other things into it, right? It's like nice soft serve ice cream, but like the price point, the McDonald's is a lot more worth it. But I feel that like when my girlfriend wants to go get a treat, it's mostly blizzards. Like we don't go get McFlurries often. 
But man, is it a better deal to just go out and get a McFlurry because it's like it's less than half the price. Yeah, I'm going McFlurry, Oreo McFlurry. It's the best. Can't so let's it. let's find the price point because I think it's something like three fifty for a McFlurry, and it's somewhere it's like seven eighty nine for a medium, uh, a medium Blizzard. I think that I think I'm going with McFlurry in the end. Yeah, I am too. But a lot of people are going to say Blizzard. You know, a lot of people love. I think their they Blizzards. will. Should we put out the poll question right yeah, now? Yeah, we'll put out the poll. Well, right we record. when we finish recording here, I think Blizzard's going to win the poll. But I think I'm going to go. I think if you include price point, I, I think McDonald's is going to put up a fight with a McFlurry. All right, but I do think Blizzard's going to win in the end. Okay, go check out our your, your business here poll question. We'll be posting it right after this episode. We're going to post this episode right away. So for Chris Faber, my name is David Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.